If you missed the introduction, uh, my name is Mike. I'm the pastor here. It's my privilege to be able to open God's Word with you all right now. Again, if you have a Bible, you're welcome to turn to Luke chapter 9. If you uh, look at our worship guide on the back middle portion, we have the scripture printed there as well, uh, which I encourage you to follow along as we read, as we consider the text. I'll refer to this text uh, over and over again. This is what we're focusing on. We've been going really for, you know, going on our second year of a, of a series slowly working through the gospel according to Luke. This is a first century document. It's authentic. It's genuine. It describes the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who is called Emmanuel. That means God with us. Luke's gospel, he writes based on several different sources, eyewitness accounts, perhaps other written records of those who follow Jesus. So we can, we can believe it's historically accurate, that it's faithful and trustworthy, and it's trustworthy in what it's trying to accomplish, which is this. It's trying to tell us who Jesus is, what he came to do, and why we should care, why that matters to us. Luke writes explicitly. He has a reason for why he's writing to us, so that his readers, whether in the first century or the 21st century, would believe the good news about Jesus. They'd find rest and peace in him, and they'd give their lives to following him. Our text this week uh, finds Jesus sending out his 12 apostles, the 12, whom he's taught, he's trained for some time, and he sends them out into the towns and villages of northern uh, Galilee, within the country of Israel. And this is what he sends them out to do, to do what he's been doing all along, to preach the gospel and to heal. So let me turn your attention to Luke chapter 9. I'm going to invite Henry. He's going to hobble forward. Uh, So... um, you can, you can take your time, Henry. There's no right. Okay, I'm just kidding. Okay, so we're in Luke chapter 9. And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, And do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now Herod the Tetrarch, heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed, because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod said, John I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray. Father, thank you for uh, miraculously preserving and protecting your word so that it could be brought down to us here 2,000 years after these events took place. God, we ask that um, we would believe this word that is being taught to us now, but also that you would do your work in us by your spirit to change us, to shape us uh, based on this word. So we ask for your presence and your help now as we listen Uh, Help us to understand. Open our eyes, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. There's a letterboard sign outside of 
Halifax Central Junior High right now that has an old adage on it. Tell me and I forget. Teach me and I may remember. Involve me and I learn. I'll say that again. Tell me and I forget. Teach me and I, I may remember. Involve me and I learn. This is an old pedagogical or teaching philosophy that, that rightly understands that there's nothing quite like experience, participation, getting your hands dirty to drive home certain lessons, to shape you into a certain kind of person. If you want to become a woodworker, you want to become a baker, you can't become a woodworker or a baker by being taught or watching an expert do it. You have to get involved. You have to practice the craft. You have to experience all that you've learned now, of course, there's nothing wrong with learning through, you know, reading or words or teachers. I'm standing here right now doing this very thing, so of course it would be a bit rich for me to say this is totally worthless. Um, but, but good teaching always involves learners, doesn't just speak to them. Even on, on worship, uh, on Sundays, you're asked to participate in many ways, right? Like, I'm not here doing absolutely everything. You need to join in. You need to sing and read and pray and kneel and, and come to the table, if I was a music teacher and I want my students to become something, I want them to become competent, confident, skilled musicians, but imagine that I, I never let them handle an instrument. You know, I might teach them music theory, show them how I play the piano, you know, inspire them with stories of my own experiences and learning and performing music. All this actually might be really helpful, uh, but if they never touch a piano, if I, if I never involve them in the music that I'm making, if I never send them off with their lessons in order that they can go and make music of their own, they'll never be what I want them to become. And God's made you with a purpose. He, he made you, and he has something in mind for you. You were made by God, you were made for God, to know him, to live him, to live in relationship with him, to trust and obey him. God has made you with the purpose to love him, to love the people uh, around you, to love this world, to experience his peace and joy and life now and forever. This is what you are for. You are created intentionally by God to fill and to beautify this world, to cultivate it, to see it grow, to see it flourish, to shine light in the darkness, to speak truth and hope to those who need to hear it. This is what you're made for. This is what the Bible says that you were made to become. So how do you get there? We get there not simply by listening and learning about it, but by getting involved in it. See, up to this point in Luke's gospel, Jesus has been teaching his disciples. He's been modeling uh, lessons to them. And this is all very good. They've listened, they've observed, but now Jesus begins the necessary next step. He involves them in his work. Jesus' disciples, then and now, uh, become who they're made to be, not just through learning, not just through listening, but by becoming apprentices of Christ. Uh, in Luke 9, uh, we see the 12 disciples getting their very first experience doing all that they've been taught. If you look at the text, we'll just kind of walk through it from top to bottom, just so we get an idea of what's happening here. If you see in, in verse 1, uh, Jesus calls together the 12. The 12, you can imagine both the and 12 being capitalized, because this is referring to the inner group of disciples. Um, we, we met them earlier in Luke chapter 6. And he gives them power and authority over all demons 
and to cure diseases. These, these are characters, again, that we met back in Luke chapter 6, guys like Peter and Andrew, uh, James and John. These are common fishermen, nothing too astounding about them. There's a tax collector named Matthew, a religious zealot named Simon, and they're all about to go and do amazing, incredible things. But again, uh, if we look at Luke chapter 6, where we're first introduced to these guys, uh, it says, Jesus called all his disciples to him. So, you know, there might be a couple of hundred who are following him, but he chose from them the twelve whom he named apostles, all right? So the name apostle, this is actually an important word to know. Uh, this is the title that Jesus gives to these 12, and it comes from the Greek verb uh, apostello, which means to be sent out. The apostles are sent out ones. They are more than just simple disciples of Jesus or followers of him. Uh, to be one of the 12 uh, whom Jesus himself sent out means that you were the hand-selected, chosen ones commissioned by Christ himself. So an important thing for us to keep in mind as we're going through Luke chapter 9 is that it, it's describing not Christians in general. These aren't everyday disciples, but they are a unique group of foundation-laying officers in the church that, uh, as one writer would describe them, they are isolated, peculiar, distinct, and importantly, their office as apostles ceased with them. We actually don't have apostles today armed with the same healing and, uh, and, and demon-driving power that the 12 apostles did. So if you're thinking, based on this text, I can't wait to leave church today and have all authority and power over demons and illness, you're going to be disappointed, okay? The apostles were unique. They were this foundational layer to the church uh, in history. And the church today, while in many ways, as we'll see, function apostle-like, uh, there are differences, and we need to appreciate that. So, this is where we're at. Jesus gathers and sends the 12 apostles, and he sends them on what sounds like a very short-term preaching and mission, uh, uh, healing mission. They're just dipping their toes into this kind of work. In verse 10, which we don't have rented here, um, we're going to look at that next week, um, they've already returned. Like, they're, they're back already, so this isn't like an extended time away. But before they go, if you look at verses 3, 4, and 5, Jesus gives them particular instructions uh, to go about this mission. As apprentices of Jesus, they're not just to do the things that Jesus does, they're to experience the way that Jesus does those things. So they're, they're not just acting like Jesus, they're living like him. So in verses 3 to 4, Jesus tells his disciples, as you go and do these things, pack light. Depend on God's provision for you as you go. Depend on other people's generosity towards you. Because this is how Jesus himself ministered. He himself also trusted God to provide what he needed day to day. If you look at verse 5, you see that the disciples are to, like Jesus, expect resistance. Not everyone's going to welcome them as they go. Uh, the instructions there in verse 5 might sound a little, little odd. Tells them to shake off the dust from their feet, a, a symbolic action um, and what this is, is it's a picture that those who are rejecting them are rejecting Jesus. And by rejecting Jesus, you are rejecting the only hope for life that you have. And if these people don't repent, they would face on the final day the rejection of God's judgment. So it's a very serious symbolic action which they're showing. Finally, again, just going top to bottom of our text, in verse 7 through 9, there's a little aside, which might have seemed a little out of place to you at first, but I think it's really important. What Luke's doing is he's, he's, he's taking his camera from one scene to another, from the disciples mingling among small town folks to, to the palace of the king of Galilee, Herod the Tetrarch. And this brief aside to Herod's palace, I think we need to see it for what it is, which is a thundercloud on the horizon of Luke's gospel. 
Because as Jesus and his apostles and their work become more well-known, as their work goes out to more and more people, trouble's coming with it. If you look at verse 9, Herod's already beheaded John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the cousin of Jesus, the prophet who prepared Jesus' way. And now Herod the beheader, he wants to see Jesus too. And this should give readers pause. Even while God's up to amazing things through Jesus and the apostles, something dangerous is brewing. Okay, that, that's our overview of the text. So, so, so uh, uh, what we believe is that God's speaking to us today through this text too. This isn't just for the 12 apostles. Uh, God who's made us, made us for his own purposes. He wants to shape us into the people that he's made us to be. And again, while we're appreciating the differences between the apostles and their powerful short-term mission, and the difference between that and disciples like us today and our particular mission, uh, what are some connections for us? Well, this is our outline for today. If you're into outlines, you can write this down. To be an apprentice of Jesus today, to be shaped, to be molded into the kind of person he wants you to be, requires a couple things. Gospel faith, merciful words and deeds, simple trust, and a willingness to get into trouble. I'll I'll say that again. To be an apprentice of Jesus today requires gospel faith, merciful words and deeds, simple trust, and a willingness to get into trouble. These are the ways that God gets us involved and begins to shape us. So first, to be an apprentice of Jesus requires gospel faith. Uh, In verse 2, if you look at it there, the apostles are sent out to proclaim the kingdom of God. If you go down to verse 6, the same activity is described as them going out and preaching the gospel, which is literally the good news. And and what we see here, what we see everywhere in the Bible, is that for anyone to be or become an apprentice of Jesus requires this as, as the beginning. It requires gospel faith, faith in this king and his kingdom. This good news that we've, we've shorthanded a few times in, in our worship services as God saves sinners or, or God saves sinners through Christ, this is the entry point to following Christ. It's, it's the beginning of us becoming, uh, being who we're becoming. An interesting thing of the 12 that are sent out, I don't know if, you, if, you, if this popped into your mind, Judas Iscariot was one of the 12 that Jesus sent out. For those of you who know that name or know how the story ends, Judas is the one who will betray Christ. He will facilitate his arrest, which will ultimately lead to Jesus' crucifixion and his death. And so this is a reminder that what Jesus requires is not simply that his apprentices attend church and listen to really good teaching. Judas did that. What Jesus requires is not simply being part of a church, you know, volunteering, giving money to the church, you know, doing some of the things that we're about to talk about, uh, showing merciful words and deeds, doing good to help our community. Judas did that. To be an apprentice of Jesus today requires gospel faith. That we don't just know this apostolic message that they went around preaching, but that we trust it, that we, we believe it into our bones. Gospel faith is, is the first requirement of following Jesus. And really, you know, we could just say it's, 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 the, it's the first privilege that we're given to know that as we go into our internship of following Jesus, we're loved and welcomed by God, not based on how well we perform or what we produce for him as we go out, but that it's Christ alone, his work for us, his death 
for your sin and your salvation, that that's what brings you into the love and welcome of God. You need this gospel faith so that you can make mistakes as you follow Jesus, to know that he's not going to crush you when you don't do as well as you need to do. Christ rescues bad apprentices, and through the gospel, he promises to transform them. So first, to be an apprentice of Jesus today, it requires gospel faith. But second, it requires merciful words and deeds. Merciful words and deeds. The church has been sent, just as the apostles were sent here, on a mission of mercy, both in word and deed, to a broken and weary world. Jesus came to preach the good news. He says this is actually a central aspect of why he came. And yet he didn't simply share merciful words with others. He enacted merciful deeds towards them. He healed the sick. He restored the broken. And so when Jesus sends his people out, he sends them out with both merciful words and merciful deeds. In Luke chapter 9, you see this very clearly. The apostles are sent by Jesus to preach the gospel and to heal people of spiritual and physical pain. The Christians, and Christians today too, we need to see this, that we're, wherever we're sent, we're also called to show God's own mercy to others. Again, both in word and deed. Now, for some of you, showing deeds of mercy, and that's right up your alley. That's easy. By nature, you're a, you know, give the shirt off your own back kind of person. Helping people practically, materially with their needs, uh, that's just something you're eager to do. But, but to speak words of mercy, to tell them, God saves sinners like you and me. That feels risky. <laughs> That's a little too religious. That's out of your comfort zone. Oof, that, you know, that, might, that might harm a friendship. And for others of you, speaking merciful words that's the easy part. <laughs> you don't mind speaking the truth, <laughs> inviting people to church, you know, pointing people to their need, to, need for Jesus, but to act mercifully towards them in deeds, to really get to know them and their needs, to, to patiently endure beside them as they suffer, as they bring their doubts, their sadness, to spend your hard-earned money and your well-deserved vacation time to alleviate the suffering of others. Who's got time for that? But apprentices of Jesus, to learn from him, to become who he's made you to be, it has to involve both parts of Christ's merciful work, showing mercy in both word and deed. So to be an apprentice of Jesus today requires gospel faith, merciful words and deeds, and simple trust. When Jesus sent his apostles out, he sent them out with like little on their persons, right? They had no money, uh, no extra shirt, no bread. Come on. <laughs> like, and, and what he's doing here is he's sending them out with this implicit promise. I'll take care of you. You don't need to worry. I'm with you. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, when they asked him, how do we pray? Part of his prayer, which we call the Lord's Prayer, includes the lines, Our Father... Give us this day our daily bread. And you can just imagine Jesus' breadless apostles traveling along, along the road, praying that prayer with a, with a special earnestness, right? Asking for daily bread. This is what's happening. It's asking God to take care of us by giving us what's necessary, not what's luxurious. Asking for daily bread is asking God to help us to be content with what he's given us today, and not to worry about tomorrow. 
Unfortunately, most of us have been shaped, we've been discipled by uh, our modern Western consumer culture. We're always encouraged to want more, want bigger, want better, uh, want more than we need so that we can save some for later. And whether it's a church, whether it's a relationship, whether it's a phone, what we want is newer, cooler, faster, sleeker. We want the upgrade. And all of these wants and desires, they take us from what Jesus wants for his apprentices. Simple trust. To trust simply that as we go, as we follow him, he'll give us what we need today. Not more, not less. Again, this is a very easy thing to hear. It's an even easier thing to speak. <laughs> um, but true apprentices of Jesus, they don't just get to hear this teaching or get to repeat it. No, Jesus in his kindness to them he often involves them in this. When you lack the things that you need, you're being given an opportunity to grow in simple trust. To grow, to become the kind of person that God wants you to be. Listen, when your health is in shambles, when your relationships are disappointing, when your plans, your well-laid plans for the future start to crumble, Jesus is calling you in that moment, as you follow him, to exercise simple trust. To ask him in that moment, God, give me now my daily bread and trust that he'll give you exactly what you need. This is what the apostles had to do. This is what we're called to do as well. To be an apprentice of Jesus today, it requires gospel faith. It requires merciful words and deeds. It requires this simple trust in his fatherly care. And finally, finally, it requires a willingness to get into trouble. As I mentioned at the beginning, the presence of Herod in this account, this is the dark cloud forming on the horizon. So long as Jesus and his disciples stay quiet <laughs> They keep their thing private. They enjoy the good news between their ears and somewhere deep inside of their hearts. No problems are going to come. But once they start traveling, going outdoors, preaching, healing, spreading the good news that God saves sinners through Christ, once they start doing this in public, this is when their problems start. This is when people outside of their group, for the first time, can reject and despise them publicly. It's the first time when they begin to get noticed by their enemies, by people who despise God, despise God's kingdom and his people. And listen, to become like Jesus, to be who you are made to be, it means living in such a way that you run the risk of being despised and rejected like Jesus. To really be his apprentice, to be involved in his work, requires a willingness to get into trouble. Again, if as a church, this is what we decide, let's just keep our heads low. Oliver, you can turn the volume down on the speakers, please. <laughs> let's keep those back doors closed. You know, and, and I just keep my messages very simple, inoffensive, encouraging, uplifting to anybody. Totally inoffensive. If we as a church decide, let's just keep our ambitions small, let's keep our reach very narrow, no one will ever hear from us. No one will care. And there will be absolutely no risk to any of us here of getting into any kind of trouble whatsoever. Some of you are like, that's great. Let's do that. <laughs> I'll take that option. Some people want to live their Christian lives in such a way that a Herod would never, ever hear about you. 
As the saying goes, the tallest blade of grass is the first to get mowed. And for many Christians, not all, but many, in their home, their workplace, their friend group, their neighborhood, maybe this is you, you, want to, you, want your, you don't want your Christian faith to make you stick up or stick out at all. Because if you do, you're worried you'll get mowed down a little bit. Good teaching involves learners and doesn't just speak to them. So Jesus, he teaches his disciples here. He teaches them in places like John 15, words like this. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. A servant's not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. Yes, being a disciple and apprentice of Jesus requires this, a willingness to get into trouble as a church and as individual Christians by preaching the gospel, by acting and speaking with mercy, trusting God simply when everything points in the opposite direction that we shouldn't trust him. This is what will happen. We'll attract undue attention on us at some point. And this might mean real loss, loss of opportunities, loss of friendships, of even family and finances. For many Christians through history, even down to our day, it means being willing to lose their very lives. Are you living a, a risk-free version of Christianity? If that's the case, are you sure you're following Jesus? Are you being involved in his work in any way? Because to be an apprentice of Jesus today requires gospel faith, merciful words and deeds, simple trust, and a willingness to get into trouble for Christ's sake, for his glory, if that's what it means. Let's end with this. Erasmus of Rotterdam, he was a philosopher, a theologian in the 15th and 16th century. He noticed, as he looked at this text uh, when he was you know, teaching his, his church or when he was writing his book on, on Luke's gospel, um, that Jesus here didn't, didn't meet with Herod. Herod wanted to see Jesus, but Jesus didn't. I, I kind of feel like if you know, some high-ranking official of government was like, Michael, I would like to see you. I'd probably take up that in invitation. But really, Jesus doesn't see Herod until the very end, until uh, the days right before his crucifixion. Herod, again, really wanted to see Jesus. He'd heard stories about him. He'd heard that there were some miracles happening in his province. Uh, later in Luke 23, Luke writes, this is exactly why Herod wanted to see Jesus all along. It wasn't from, like, religious curiosity. No, he, he didn't want to learn. He wanted to be entertained. Uh, Luke 23 verse 8 says, Herod hoped to see Jesus do some sort of sign. He wanted his kind of like a court gesture kind of figure. But Jesus, for the moment here, he avoids Herod and he seems to avoid trouble. Why? What's Jesus up to? Is he avoiding trouble? Is he unwilling to get into, get into some mischief? Well, this is what Erasmus writes. Jesus did not make himself available to Herod at this time, for he had not come to satisfy the greedy eyes of godless princes with his miracles, but to lead the simple to salvation. And beheading, beheading did not suit Jesus, for he had destined for himself the high banner of the cross. See, Jesus knew from the beginning that, that his ministry, his preaching, his healing would bring trouble it would lead to his arrest, to his imprisonment, to his scourging, and finally his crucifixion. And the good news that we proclaim as a church is that that cost was not too high to Christ. The loss, the real loss faced by Christ, loss of opportunities, of friendship, of family, of closeness to the Father, and even his very life was considered by Christ worth it so that he could lead the simple to salvation, so that he could make fearful 
untrusting, unmerciful, faithless people like you and I who back away. Christ went forward and he faced judgment so that he could cleanse us by his own shed blood, renew and restore us so that we could become who we were made to be, his dearly loved people. So now may you listen to God in his word, tell you who you are and what he has made you to be. May you learn who you are as you receive and rest in Jesus Christ as he's offered to you in the gospel. May you be involved in Christ's merciful work, both words and deeds, so that you can become more like him. May God give you your daily bread, and as you risk trouble for his kingdom, may he keep you from temptation and deliver you from evil. And may you see Christ choosing the high banner of the cross for you, for your sin, and for your salvation. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we, we want to, to live as your people, and yet we find within our hearts fear and unbelief, all kinds of excuses for why this isn't a good time to, to act mercifully or speak mercifully, why we can't trust you in this area. Father, we ask that you would not only forgive us of our sins, but that you would renew and restore us now by your spirit. Help us to take on this apprenticeship which we're being called to, to not just hear these words, but to be involved in them, to experience them in our lives. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy on us. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.